Well, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn in them to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. This morning we'll be reading together verses 1 through 3 of Genesis chapter 2. And then we also will be reading from Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 through chapter 4 verse 11. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Please pay careful attention, for this is God's holy and inspired word given to us this morning. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please also turn over in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, we'll be reading together beginning in verse 7 and all the way through chapter 4, verse 11. And as we read these these chapters or these verses from the book of Hebrews, pay careful attention to how the author to the Hebrews speaks about this seventh day of creation that we heard about in Genesis chapter 2. Well, please pay careful attention, for again, this is God's holy and inspired word given to us this morning. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there, be any in, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, as long, uh, David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I would wager a bet that most people are more familiar with the first six days of creation than they are with the seventh day of creation. Now, one of the unintended consequences of the many arguments, debates, controversies over the specific length of the first six days of creation is that we have forgotten about the most important day of creation, Namely, the seventh day of creation, the day that Moses records for us here in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we all have probably come here this morning feeling a bit weary. Weary from the present trials of life. Weary from the demands of life. Weary because... We may have to make big decisions in the future. Weary because our lives may not be going the way we had hoped or intended that they would go. And so in this weary state, why did you come here this morning? Why did you come here this morning? My pray and hope is because you desired to hear God speak to you personally in the midst of your weariness. And this morning, God desires to remind you of your destination. This morning, God desires to remind you of where he is taking you. And so, weary pilgrim, what is your destination? Well, according to these passages, your destination is God's seventh day Sabbath rest. That is where God is taking you. That is our hope as a pilgrim people. Our destination is God's seventh day Sabbath rest. Now, if this is our hope, if this is our destination, then what is God's rest? What does Moses mean when he speaks about God resting on the seventh day? Was God so exhausted from the busyness of those first six days of creation that he needed to just kick back in his lazy boy and have a day off? What does it mean that God rested on the seventh day? 
Well, there is a great and vital distinction between the creator and the creature. This distinction between the creator and the the creature is not merely a quantitative distinction. It is a qualitative distinction. That is to say, it's not like the difference between an F-150 or F-350 truck. It's it's like the difference between an F-350 and a toy truck that a a three-year-old child can hold in his hand. That's the difference. That's the distinction between the creator and the creature. Consequently, then, if God were to reveal himself to us as he is in himself, we would have no hope of ever understanding anything about him. And so what does God do? Well, God condescends to us in our weakness and finitude. God gets down on one knee, as it were, and speaks to us as you might speak to a three-year-old child. And in this condescension, God uses creaturely metaphors and analogies. Note, for instance, the many creaturely analogies that we witness in these opening chapters of the book of Genesis. God speaks, God works, God rests. In chapter 3, we'll see that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, we shouldn't hear these creaturely analogies and think, huh, God must just be a really big creature. God doesn't have vocal cords. He doesn't rest as we rest. He doesn't work as we work. He doesn't have legs upon which he can walk. Why then does he use creaturely metaphors and analogies? So that we can have some knowledge and understanding of who he is in his incomprehensible majesty. And so, what is the point? What is being communicated to us as we hear in Genesis chapter 3 that God rested on the Sabbath day, or on the seventh day. Well, one the theologian puts it this way, God's rest stands for the consummation of a work accomplished and the joy and satisfaction attendant upon this. God's rest refers to the consummation of his work of creation and the joy and satisfaction that comes with that consummation. This morning, I'd like us to continue to press into this theme and concept of God's seventh-day Sabbath rest. And I'd like to do so in a threefold manner. First, we'll consider how God's Sabbath rest is important. Second, we will consider how God's Sabbath rest is the hope of creation. And last of all, we will consider the reminders, the reminders that God gives us of God's Sabbath rest. Well, first, we see that God's Sabbath rest is important. Now, in verses 2 and 3 of Genesis chapter 2, how many, day, how many times excuse me, does Moses repeat the phrase, the seventh day? How many times does Moses repeat the phrase, the seventh day? Well, three times. Three times Moses repeats this phrase, the seventh day, which should be a cue to us that this is an important day. This is an important day. Moreover, notice that the only day in creation that God blesses, that God sanctifies, is the seventh day, the Sabbath day. God blesses and sanctifies 
this seventh day of creation. So what does it mean? What does it mean that God blesses this seventh day? Well, what did God bless in Genesis chapter 1? Or whom did God bless in Genesis chapter 1? Well, God blessed man. God blessed the fish. God blessed the fowl. And in those blessings, he called those creatures to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so there is an intimate connection between blessing and fruitfulness. And so when we think about God's Sabbath rest, this is a realm of fruitfulness. This is a realm of divine fullness. It's an important day. We also see that God sanctifies or he makes holy this seventh day. What does this mean? Well, throughout scripture, whenever something is sanctified, whenever something is made holy, it is set apart, set apart from ordinary use to be used specifically for the Lord and his purposes. And so God is sanctifying, meaning he is setting apart the seventh day from the previous six days of creation to be specifically used for him and his purposes. And so based on on just a cursory reading of these first three verses of Genesis chapter 2, we all should come to the conclusion that Moses and God, both the human author and the divine author, want us to know that this day is an important day. Now the most important aspect of this day is how it functions as the hope of creation. The most important aspect of this day is how it functions as the hope of creation. Now, we all intuitively imagine our lives in this world in in terms of a story or in terms of a narrative. We all come or came from somewhere and we're going somewhere. We all have a past and a present and a future. Now, when, when anything happens to you, any event or circumstance, trial or tribulation happens to you, you intuitively and even pre-consciously or pre-rationally interpret that event or that circumstance through the lens of a narrative or through the lens of a story. So as one theologian puts it, imagine there is someone who experiences a very difficult circumstance in life. Let's say an accident. Let's say a terminal diagnosis or the death of a loved one. And let's say the same person doesn't affirm a divine creator but believes that we all came into existence by mere chance. Let's say this person does not believe that there is any inherent meaning to life in this world. All there is the evolutionary survival of the fittest. Let's say this person believes that our destination is just us ceasing to exist and maybe if we're lucky being recreated into a flower or a blade of grass or a tree. Now, that narrative that that person is clinging to is the interpretive lens through which that person is viewing the present difficulty that he or she is facing. So we all, we all interpret life through the lens of a narrative, through the lens of a story. So one of the purposes of Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 1 is to give us the true story, the true narrative that we are to cling to and that is to function as our interpretive lens to make sense of the events and circumstances of our life. And so reflect with me for a few moments on Genesis 1-1 through 2-3, this, this first week of creation. As we considered last week, 
God began this week by creating in days one through three these creation kingdoms. The day and the night, the sky and the sea and the dry ground. And then what did God do in days four through six? He created these creature kings to rule these various domains. And so we hear in Genesis chapter 1 that the luminaries, the sun, the moon, and the stars are called to rule the day and the night. We learn that the winged creatures are called to rule the heavens. And the sea creatures are called to rule the seas. And then man, the pinnacle of God's creation, created after God's own image and likeness, is called not only to rule the dry ground, but to rule all that exists. And then, after all of this creation, God enters his seventh-day Sabbath rest as the king over it all. God is at the top of this hierarchy and pyramid. Yes, God does rest from his works of creation, but he also is very active in ruling all things through his providence. We should interpret God's Sabbath rest as being his divine enthronement. When he takes a seat upon his heavenly throne, as it were, as the Lord and King of providence. Isaiah 66, God reminds us that the heavens are his throne and the earth are his footstool. As the King of providence, as the ruler of all things, God commissions Adam as his vice regent to rule under his reign. And the most important aspect of Adam's commission, which we will reflect upon in more depth uh, next time we're together, the most important aspect of Adam's commission is bringing himself, his posterity, and all of creation into God's Sabbath rest. The most important aspect of Adam's commission is bringing himself, his posterity, and all of creation into God's Sabbath rest. God created creation for a greater state of consummation. And so the hope of creation is this seventh day. The hope of creation is Sabbath rest. The hope of creation is new creation. And so our destination in life is not some political utopia here on earth. Our, our, our destination in life is not just human progress so that we can fulfill the desires of our heart and do whatever we desire to do. Neither is our destination in life ceasing to exist. No, God is very clear here. Our destination in life is his Sabbath rest. The hope of creation and indeed our hope is God's Sabbath rest. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says that creation, albeit fallen creation, but creation is groaning. And the pains of childbirth, for what? For the redemption of the sons of God. What is that referring to? That's referring to new creation. That's referring to Sabbath rest. Creation is, is groaning with hope for one day entering that realm, that state in which God is enthroned. In Hebrews chapter 2, the author reminds us that God originally, in those first six days of creation, he subjected the world to come, namely his seventh day of creation, not to angels, but to man. God is reminding us here that our destination in life, our hope in life is where God is, his Sabbath rest. 
And so what story, what narrative are you clinging to this morning? What story, what narrative do you use to make sense of the events and circumstances and sufferings that come your way? Are you clinging to the narrative of let's eat, drink, for tomorrow we die? Or are you clinging to the narrative that God is giving us here in Genesis 1 and 2? That he created all things through the power of his word. That he is ruling all things through his providence in the midst of this present wilderness. And he is bringing each one of us to his appointed destination. Namely, his seventh day Sabbath rest. Well, just as any immigrant community experiences the slow drift, the slow drift of of falling away from the practices, beliefs, and culture of one's original homeland as they assimilate to their new country. In a very similar way, we as the people of God are tempted to drift, drift away from our heavenly homeland, the culture, the beliefs, the practices, the ethic of our heavenly homeland as we assimilate to this present evil age. Consequently then, God gives us, graciously gives us reminders, reminders of his Sabbath rest, reminders of where he is bringing us, reminders of our appointed destination. Now the first reminder that God gives us is the land of Canaan. In Hebrews chapter 3, 7 through 4, 11, you'll notice that the author to the Hebrews is essentially giving a sermon or you could say an exposition of Psalm 95, which itself is referring to Israel's time in the wilderness, and Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And in these chapters, the author to the Hebrews is reminding us that that wilderness generation that came out of Egypt failed to enter God's earthly land of rest. Why? Because of unbelief. They turned away from God in unbelief, and thus they failed to enter God's earthly land of rest, the promised land. Now, the point of the author bringing up this, this point, or this, 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 this time in Israel's history, is to apply it to us in the New Covenant Church. The author is essentially saying that we're like Israel in the wilderness. We are like Israel in the wilderness, and we also await a rest. But the rest that we await is not an earthly piece of real estate in the Near East. The rest that we await is the reality of the land of Canaan, God's eternal seventh-day Sabbath rest. Hebrews 4.9, so then there awaits for the people of God a Sabbath rest. And we are called... We are called to heed Israel's example. We are not to do what Israel did. We are not to turn away from God in the wilderness in unbelief and fail to enter that rest. We are not to harden our hearts in unbelief when he speaks to us in his word. But rather, we are to respond to his word in faith and repentance and enter. Enter God's eternal Sabbath rest. Those who believe, the author says, have already entered God's rest. Now, just as Joshua was the individual chosen by God to bring Israel, or the successive generation of Israel, into the promised land across the Jordan, so to Jesus, as the greater Joshua, is God's appointed means of bringing us, not to the earthly land of Canaan, but to the reality, to 
God's Sabbath rest, the hope of creation. Now, boys and girls, what did Jesus do after he ascended to heaven according to our creed? What did Jesus do after he ascended to heaven? Well, he sat at the right hand of God. Sitting is a posture of rest. And therefore, the significance of that article of the creed is reminding us that Jesus Christ was, was and is the only human being who earned, earned by his own merit and works, God's rest. He sat, he sat at God's right hand. Now, Jesus not only earned that rest for himself, he also made a way for us to enter that rest. Which is why Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus has the authority to offer rest to us because he earned that rest by his own merits and obedience. And so this morning, Jesus is telling you that he desires to remove the burden of the guilt of your sin. Jesus desires to sympathize with you in your present weariness and weaknesses. Jesus desires to offer you the rest, the Sabbath rest of God. So then, today, today, as David says, do not harden your hearts to the voice of Jesus, which is extending to you God's Sabbath rest. Now, of course, God no longer has purposes, redemptive holy purposes for the physical land of Canaan. But, but when we read in the Old Testament about Israel in relation to this promised land of Canaan, those stories should serve as reminders that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Well, another reminder that God gives us of this Sabbath rest, this eternal Sabbath rest, is in the weekly Sabbath day that we are called to observe. We read from the fourth commandment earlier in our service, and in the fourth commandment, God grounds Israel's observance of the seventh day Sabbath in creation, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, in the New Covenant, as I already mentioned, Jesus changes the particular day of the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day. And so we as New Covenant Christians are still under this creational ordinance. We as New Covenant Christians are still under the fourth commandment. We still are called to observe a weekly Sabbath. And so if we are desiring to grow in our identity as sojourners and exiles, if we are desiring to grow in our identity as citizens of heaven, as Paul says, if we are desiring to grow as a people of hope, we need to begin by observing, sanctifying, setting apart the Lord's Day. The purpose of the Lord's Day is to remind us that the narratives, the stories of this world that we passively take in Monday through Saturday are not true. The purpose of the Lord's Day is to be reminded of the story, the narrative that God tells us, that God writes us into, that he is the creator, sustainer of all things and leading his people to his appointed destination. The purpose of the Lord's Day is to give us this story so that we might be able to better cope with the sufferings of this life. The purpose of the Lord's Day is to be reminded 
of where we're going, of our destination. The purpose of the Lord's Day is to remind us that we're a pilgrim people. It's a pinch reminding us not to assimilate too much to this present evil age. And so if we want to grow in our identity as a pilgrim people, if we want to grow in our identity as citizens of the age to come, if we want to grow as a people of hope, we begin by sanctifying, setting apart, observing the Lord's Day. And so the weekly Sabbath is given to us as a reminder, a reminder of its reality, namely God's eternal Sabbath rest. And last of all, God gives us, God gives us a reminder of his Sabbath rest in the Lord's Supper. One thing that Jesus tells us when he institutes the Lord's Supper is that when we partake of these elements, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. In the new creation, when we experience the consummation of his rest, we will no longer be enjoying communion with Christ through a thimble of wine and a morsel of bread. Rather, we'll be seated at the heavenly banquet of our Lord next to the physical humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. But yet, in this age, in this present wilderness, God graciously feeds us with manna at this table of the Lord as we hope and anxiously await the coming of God's Sabbath rest. And so why bother? Why bother considering, focusing upon this seventh day? Well, we should bother about this second day, we should, or seventh day. We should consider it thoughtfully because it's important. It's important as it serves as the hope of creation. Therefore, we need to be reminded, reminded of this destination that God gives.